Hello and welcome everyone to the last episode of Feminist Focus this year. Um, I'm really excited to be back with you today. This time um, I'm actually broadcasting from, from at home, from Germany. Um, so bear with me if I seem a little drowsy. It's already an hour later here than um, it is in the UK. Uh, so I'm a bit tired, but um, I'm also very excited for today's topic. So um, I hope that's going to make up for that. And today's topic that we're going to be discussing today is sexism and feminism in popular culture. Um, and I'm very happy that we still get to talk about this uh, this year because it's one of my personal favorites. Um, I organized um, a talk with um, a female German rapper last year um, at my undergraduate university. And um, in, like, in light of that, I got really invested in that particular topic. Um, I researched a lot about it. I discussed it with lots of people. Um, so I do hope that I'm going to be able to share uh, some interesting insights with you today. Um, little disclaimer in the beginning. Um, when I talk about certain words that um, are being used, I'm actually going to mention the words because um, I want this to be illustrative. I want this to, you know, be understandable and make sense. So I'm actually going to be using the words, even if they might be derogatory. Um, and even though the title um, of the broadcast is Sexism and Feminism in Popular Culture, um, the strongest focus lies on music because this is just, I would say, simply the topic that I know the most about. And within music, it also um, more strongly lies on the lyrics, simply because um, I, I'm very interested in lyrics, I'm very interested in language, this is just the topic that I'm able to say the most about, um, as opposed to, for example, um, how women are being portrayed in music videos, which is an entirely different topic that I guess one could also spend an hour talking about. Um, but that's not going to be the main focus of today's broadcast. So, sexism and feminism in popular culture. Um, I would say there are basically two things that one should clarify in the beginning when one talks about this topic. Um, and these two things are firstly why pop culture is inherently political, or at least why I do believe that it is. Um, maybe that also in the beginning, a lot of the things that I'm going to be saying today are my personal opinion. Um, I'm going to be flagging them as such throughout the broadcast, um, but still maybe as a general disclaimer in the beginning. Um, this is very opinionated, that's what it's supposed to be like. Um, so I'm not trying to, to present facts, and I completely understand it if people disagree with me on some points. But back to the topic. So why is pop culture political? That is the first thing that we should probably uh, talk about in preparation for this topic. And then secondly also, if pop culture is political, um, how can it be feminist or how can it be sexist um, as like a specific form of it being political? Okay, so why is pop culture political? Um, I would say there are a couple of reasons as to why this is the case. The first one, and probably the most obvious one in my opinion, is because of the immense relevance that pop culture has. Um, we consume culture every day, um, and I do suppose that for a lot of people, as for me, 
it's a very important and very, you know, all-encompassing, omnipresent part of their lives. Um, so simply because of the fact that it is always there and, and it's basically, um, you know, it permeates so many different spheres of life, it, it very often also becomes, um, it very often becomes political. It discusses political topics. Um, it it um, makes statements regarding certain current issues and so on and so forth. Um, I would also say that another reason why pop culture is political um, is um, because um, it is a form of, of politics that especially a certain group of people is exposed to, a certain group of people that might not be interested in politics in the formal sense, or at least not yet. So, you know, the form, the form of politics that we get from, from pop culture um, is often the only form of politics that especially young people um, are exposed to. So for them, it's often, you know, certain statements that are being made in pop culture are often very political for them because it's their main source of information. I would definitely say, for example, that this was true for me um, when, when I was a teenager. Like, I, I massively became politicized through pop culture. Um, other than that... Um, I think there is a very, you know, obvious way of pop culture being political if if it decides to be that. If if artists decide to be, you know, uh, decidedly political um, and also transport um, political messages very actively. I'm, I do believe that political messages can also be transported if the artists themselves do not consciously do that. We're going to get into that a, a little bit later. Um, but, you know, in, in the most obvious way, um, pop culture is political when an artist, for example, decides, okay, I'm going to make this and that song, and that song is, for example, going to be referring to, I don't know, United States foreign policy, for example, in the case of, um, you know, punk culture in the early 2000s. That's like the first, the first example that comes, that comes to my mind. So if we now um, agree, or if we've now clarified that, that pop culture can be political. Um, it's also important to ask um, how exactly um, pop culture can be feminist or sexist as like a specific form of pop culture being political. Um, and I would say that again, there are basically three things that we can talk about, two of which are very closely connected. And that is also going to be the focus of, of what I'm going to be talking about in the next uh, 30, 40 minutes. So pop culture can be feminist or sexist, both in content and in language. So like music or TV series or movies, um, they can have feminist contents, they can have sexist contents, they can make use of feminist language, they can make use of sexist language. Um, the important question now would be, whether or not there actually is a difference between content and language, um, to what extent it is possible to differentiate between content and language, and whether when we look about sexism and fe uh, feminism, language actually has a content and a meaning of its own. That's all stuff that we're going to get into later, but first of all I would say um, that basically um, it can be feminist and sexist in both content and language. And also, again, 
kind of uh, in line with what I said before about pop culture being political. Um, it can also be feminist and sexist because of explicit actions of the artist and actions that also go beyond what what the artist does um, as as a content creator that go into the realm of of the personal of what the artist chooses to to say in terms of opinions in terms of of things that they actually do um, and in this regard we have to ask another important question which I'm also going to cover. I'm going to cover it rather briefly in the end, but we will be talking about it um, at least a little bit. This, this entire question of the possibility to separate the artist from their work, um, which I think especially nowadays is incredibly difficult um, in, in a generation of social media and in a generation where we often know very much um, also about the private lives um, of, of the people that create the art that we consume. Okay, so I, I've already talked a lot um, and I realize that it is a topic uh, that can be very technical and very heavy. Um, so before we get deeper into this, I'm actually going to play the first song. Um, and as probably a lot of you um, have heard, uh, Taylor Swift actually released, uh, surprisingly released, um, a new album uh, last week called Evermore. Um, and uh, I actually decided to, to choose a song from the album that is um, a song that features a band. I will butcher the name, I'm so sorry. Um, I think the name of the band is Haim. I think that's how it's pronounced. If it's not, I'm very sorry. Um, and I chose that song because it's basically a feature between uh, four female artists, which I think is amazing, and also because I really like the song. I like storytelling tracks, um, and I especially like tracks that tell me a story um, that is really like a story, like a movie, like something where I'm 100% sure it's not true, um, but it's really interesting because they take you, you know, into the world of the story that is being told. The song is called Nobody No Crime. Um, and uh, have fun with it. So, welcome back everyone to uh, Feminist Focus. Um, you just experienced a great moment of pride for me because I actually managed to make Spotify work in connection with the program that we're using for the broadcast. Um, you just listened to Taylor Swift featuring Haim, sorry again if I'm butchering the name of the band, um, with the song uh, Nobody No Crime. And um, as I said before, we are now going to mainly uh, talk about... Uh, content and language and the connection between the two of them, how they are connected, whether or not they are connected with regard to sexism and feminism and pop music. And I'm going to try and keep this very brief because I would really like to, you know, be able to make it more concrete at some point. Um, so the only thing that I'm going to say is that very obviously, um, I think it's obvious, maybe it's not obvious for everyone, language itself has a certain content. It sounds it sounds so super obvious, but you know, words mean something. Um, and actually, I think this is something that needs to be said because very often people pretend as though words don't mean anything. So, for example, 
um, let's say I use a, a, a homophobic slur to insult someone, and then I say, but hey, this is not homophobic, I did not really insult them, you know, by calling them a gay person, I just said whatever, I said a word, I said faggot, for example, and I just meant to say, you're stupid, you suck, whatever. So at this point, the person that is making that kind of an argument, they're actually trying to argue that a word doesn't mean what it actually means. So I think it's actually important to clarify that language in and of itself has a certain content. Um, and that is due to the fact that words do not only have a present, they also have a past. And even though the present of a word may be subject to change, we may start using words very differently from, from how they were being used in the past, um, the, the past of the word, it just exists. So there is always this certain connotation that comes with how a word has been used in the past and what we associate a specific word um, to mean. So for example, um, let's say um, there is the n-word that obviously we as white people should not be using, that we should not be pronouncing, and that is definitely due to the fact of what this word has meant in the past how this word um, has uh, been used to, to, uh, to underscore belief systems like racism, like slavery, and so on and so forth. So this word has a past, hence it also has a certain meaning. And in addition to that, I think it's also important to emphasize when we talk about sexism and feminism um, in pop culture, in these words being used, you know, in products of, of pop culture, they're not usually words that insult a specific person, a specific individual, but they're very usually, in the case of sexism, words that um, insult an entire group of people. In the case of sexism, the entire group um, of women or people that, that identify as female. So even if your intention is to just, you know, insult one specific person, we can argue about whether or not that's something that we should be doing, um, but even if that is your intention, um, you usually hurt the entire group because of, you know, the meaning that is attached to the word, the past that the word has, and all of the implications that come with that. So, in general, I do not think that derogatory language should be used in products of pop culture. That also includes sexist language. And there are many, many cases, definitely many cases, um, in which it is very, like, in which a product of pop culture is very straightforwardly sexist, um, in which, you know, there is a very flat way of just, you know, being sexist, where there is no second layer included, and the product of pop culture just very simply speaks of disrespect towards women. And in that case, I completely agree that derogatory language should not be used in, in products of pop culture. And I also completely agree when people, you know, in, in their perception of art and in their perception of pop culture, they stop at this point. I personally do, however, not think it's quite that black and white, even though there are definitely these cases where it's very black and white, as I just explained. Um, but I think that we would not be doing a lot of the art produced as part of pop culture, we would not be doing it justice if we just stopped there in our analysis. And I will elaborate on this a little bit more. 
Um, but before that, we're actually already at the point where we're playing a second song. And the second song that I'm playing is again, as during my first broadcast, um, a song in a foreign language that is neither English nor German. In this case, it's actually a foreign language I do not speak myself. Um, the next song that I'm going to play is in Tatar, which is a minority language spoken um, in, in parts of Russia. Um, and it is by uh, a very famous uh, female artist from Russia. Her name is Tatarka. So, you know, a person from Tatarstan, a person that speaks Tatar. Um, and the title of the song is Au, which uh, apparently uh, translated means uh, the hunt. So we are now going to listen to the song Au by Tatarka. Welcome back, everyone, to Feminist Focus. You just listened to the song Au by Tatarka. Um, I do really think it's fascinating. I love to listen to the song because I think the language just sounds so amazing. I tried to listen to it during studying because I try to listen uh, to music during studying in languages that I don't understand. So it does not distract me. But it actually ended up distracting me a lot because I just think the language is so fascinating. So I can no longer listen to it during studying. Um, but yeah, that's that. Um, before the break, um, we were talking about uh, the differentiation between content and language and the fact that language most certainly has a content of its own, um, but that also I personally believe, and again, let me emphasize this, this is a personal belief, I personally believe that we can differentiate the content of, of statements that are being made um, or of, um, you know, works of art that, that are being distributed and the content of individual words and the content that is inherent in these words. Um, and I would like to elaborate a little bit on um, what this means for me personally and why this leads me to believe that they that there are certain forms of pop culture, certain forms of art that are to to some extent exempt from you know um, from from not using derogatory language or from not using sexist language. And I think the first example that definitely has to be mentioned is uh, situations of of humor, of satire, or of irony. Because a large part of the art that is produced, may it be music, uh, may it be uh, visual art, may it be just straight up comedy, which is also an art form, and in that case it's blatantly obvious that it's supposed to be a joke. Um, a, a lot of the art that, that is being produced um, out there has a certain humorous or satirical or ironic note to it. It is not always obvious. So I fully understand when people say, okay, I do not take this to be a joke. I think this person is actually, you know, serious about it. Or even if their intention is not to be serious, the way I perceive it and the way I as a recipient interpret this is, is in a serious way, then I completely understand that, that people do not agree with what I'm going to say next. But I think very often um, in satire, in irony, in comedy, the context tells me that what a person is saying is not meant in a sexist uh, manner and that even, you know, what this person is saying 
may may even have a certain critical element to it. The person is is moving into a role. The the person is using humor, is using satire, is using irony to show that something is wrong with a certain you know way of expressing yourself, a certain way of acting, and so on and so forth. Um, and and hence they use humor to point this out. And I think there is actually a really really good German example for this. Um, and I'm going to mention that. Uh, sorry, it's in German. Like I'm going to translate it to English, of course. Um, but I think it's just the, the best example that I've ever come across for this. So there is this German comedian, and he has one joke where he basically talks about contraception, and you know the different kinds of contraception that exist. Um, and then he talks about uh, a diaphragm and like how you're supposed to insert it into the vagina and so on and so forth. And he says vagina, and then he goes like, ah, oh, let's not use this like filthy language around here. You're just basically supposed to shove it up your cunt. And then everyone is laughing, of course, because, you know, the joke behind this is that everyone is super uncomfortable around people saying the word vagina. But when he says cunt, everybody's suddenly fine with it, even though it's a derogatory term, because it's so, you know, regularly used. Um, in everyday language. So he is actually using the derogatory term in order to criticize the way in which, you know, we have a certain double standard around using words for female genitalia or, you know, just just using derogatory words and normal words in general. So that um, is one of the reasons why I believe that in humor, it's actually not so black and white. And the second topic that I would like to briefly talk about before um, we play the next song is reappropriation. Um, probably some of you know what this means. I'm just going to briefly explain it at first. So reappropriation basically means that if a certain word has been used um, to insult me or a group that I'm a part of, I start using this word in an emancipatory way. I use this word to refer to myself or to the group that I'm a part of, and thereby I kind of turn this derogatory term into something positive. Um, the, the, the best known example, I would say, is the word queer, because the word queer used to, to actually be an insult uh, directed at, at members of the LGBTQ community, um, and now it's actually very commonly used by these people themselves to refer to themselves in an emancipatory manner, in a proud manner. Um, and, and hence, you know, the meaning of the word has been entirely transformed. A lot of people nowadays, they do not even know that queer used to be a derogatory term and they associate it entirely with something positive. Um, so I would say that that is, for example, um, a way in which reappropriation can successfully take place. And to link this back to pop culture, I think an amazing example for this is just female rappers in general. Um, female rappers using words like ho, using words like bitch, like very excessively in some cases, um, and also using these words to, to refer to themselves and to say, hey, I am a bitch, but that's actually a good thing, and I'm happy about it, and I'm proud of it. Um, so that is also, in my opinion, a way in which, um, in which derogatory terms um, can and kind of also should be used um, in pop culture. Again, uh, even reappropriation has its critics, 
Um, and I fully understand um, that, that people criticize this. I actually wrote a paper about reappropriation and um, I, I also talked about the case of, of female rappers. And what very often happens there is that, you know, these, these female artists, they simultaneously use words like bitch or hoe to refer to themselves in a positive way. But at the same time, they actually use the exact same words to insult other women in the same way in which, you know, a male artist would insult these women. So it's very often the case that reappropriation and uh, like blatant sexism, they kind of take place in the same work of art at the same time. So I think this is actually a really good example of how how this entire discussion is not as black and right um, as, as it is sometimes portrayed to be. Okay, so um, before we get um, a little bit uh, deeper into this entire discussion, and we also talk a bit about the, the kinds of social backgrounds, for example, that many artists come from, and, and how they're, for example, describing a reality in which derogatory language was or is common, and um, we are going to move on to song number three. And song number three actually um, is the German song this time. And it is also the first song, um, which is a complete coincidence because I just chose the song because I was basically listening to it on repeat uh, during this week. It's the first song that is actually a feature between a female artist and a male artist. Um, and uh, the song used to be originally by the male artist. And now it's it's kind of like a sequel of the original song um, in which uh, the female artist actually plays the dominant role. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, so um, now that we talked about rappers and hip hop and female rappers a lot, it is also a hip hop song. Uh, the female artist is called Celine. She's she's kind of a very promising newcomer in German rap at the moment. The male artist is, is a very famous German rapper called Ufo361, Ufo361, um, and the title of the song is Emotions 2.0, so have fun with the song. Welcome back everyone to Feminist Focus. Today we're discussing uh, the topic of sexism and feminism in popular culture. Um, and what we were just talking about before um, this song called Emotions 2.0 by Celine and Ufo361 started playing um, is reappropriation and how uh, the, the use of certain words um, by female artists potentially means something different than if the words are, uh, are being used by a male artist, but that at the same time it's still important, even if, uh, if it's a female artist, um, in what context uh, these these words are used and what they are taken to mean in that specific context. And I think one more uh, important thing to mention with regard to reappropriation is that, you know, the fact that these female artists are there in the first place, the fact that there is um, some sort of representation of, of different kinds of voices, of different kinds of groups, within pop culture, I do very strongly believe that that is already a benefit in and of itself, even if these people were to use um, a certain kind of derogatory language, even if these people um, sometimes act in certain ways um, that may be uh, considered critical from a feminist point of view. 
Um, and I think that's simply the case because of the fact that a development like this, representation like this, uh, it creates role models. It, it shows that someone, even if they may be female, for example, they are also able to, um, to, to do certain things, to play certain roles, to, um, to be active in, in a certain field. Um, and, and this role model function, I think, is crucial and, and is extremely important. And it also sets up a process um, whereby at some point, ideally, hopefully, a, a critical mass of, of, of people being represented in a specific field is reached. And again, I would really like to mention um, the example of, of female rappers. I think that's something that is true across cultures and in different countries. It's certainly true in the US. It's been true in the US for a longer time than it has been true in, in many other countries. I think it's also true in the UK. It's definitely true in Germany um, that uh, a couple of years ago, uh, female rappers, they were quite marginalized. It wasn't really a thing. Um, there were always some, but just a few, and they were not as, you know, economically, commercially successful as male rappers. And that is something that has really started to change. And um, it has started to change because these voices have become increasingly represented in the culture. Um, and I think that's an incredibly good thing and an incredibly important thing. Um, we have to say, though, that definitely, and I also mentioned that in the very first, um, very first broadcast, the one that was lost, <laughs> the one that was never broadcast, uh, I mentioned that last time, um, because actually the very first uh, broadcast that I recorded, it didn't record properly, there was no noise, so intentionally I broadcasted um, an hour of white noise in the end, and in this specific broadcast I said something that I'm going to reiterate now, which is that, of course, as not all women consider themselves to be feminists, obviously not all female artists consider themselves to be feminists either. Um, recently, there was this pretty prominent example. Um, I'm pretty sure some of you have heard of that. This very prominent example of Lana Del Rey um, and the fact that um, some of her lyrics um, have been considered anti-feminist in the way that um, you know, some of her lyrics were perceived um, to glorify uh, toxic relationships, to even glorify domestic violence, um, because this, like, strong dependence of a woman on a man, a woman making her entire life about a man, this is a kind of trope that, that takes place in Lana Del Rey's music and that reappears again and again in Lana Del Rey's music. Um, and recently she was quite heavily criticized for it. Um, and that, for example, I think is an example where um, a female artist um, does not necessarily represent feminist values, even though they might be a female artist. On the other hand, um, my flatmate actually said something very interesting about this particular case. Uh, we discussed about it in the flat uh, a couple of days ago, and she actually said that she also believes that female artists are too easily cancelled for stuff like that. And that very often female artists, also when it comes to feminism, but when it comes to other issues as well, they're just simply held to a higher standard than male artists. Um, so she would rather be hesitant to, you know, um, too quickly cancel 
an artist like Lana Del Rey uh, because because of actions like that, because of things like that. And I think that is also a very important uh, point to be made that I did not consider um, before we had this discussion. Okay, so regarding reappropriation and representation, uh, this is basically what uh, I think about that. Um, again, um, I fully understand if people disagree with me. Um, I just feel like um, very often in that kind of a discussion, um, it's important to add some nuance because on the one hand, you just very often have these people that say, no sexist language whatsoever. We do not want this. We object to it in principle. And then on the other hand, you have these people that say, you know, freedom of art, just do whatever. And I think it's important to, you know, illuminate the in-between a little bit because there is quite a lot of in-between. All right. So on to the, I would say the last, the last major topic um, regarding sexism and feminism in pop culture. And for me, this topic, it was a bit difficult to label. It's not as easily grasped um, as the two topics that I talked about before, humor and reappropriation. So I kind of tried to label it as, as, as talking about a description of reality, a description of uh, a kind of social background, and also the portrayal of, of a certain character that might have certain characteristics that, that may not always be positive. And I think here, the analogy to film, which is also a, a product of pop culture, the analogy of, of music to film, it works really well. Um, because in a movie, you very often have characters that are maybe um, acting in ways um, in which we would not act um, in our personal lives, uh, to, to, um, to say the least. Like, there are people in movies that do horrible things, there are people in movies that express themselves in horrible ways. Um, and we still like to watch these movies because we like to be entertained. And we also like to watch movies that, for example, have have main characters that are not likable at all, but they fascinate us in some way. Um, hence, we like the story, we want to watch it, we want to listen to what these characters have to say. Um, and I think it can actually be very similar in different forms of art. In film, it's very obvious, because in film, everybody knows and everybody agrees that this is fiction. And this is the, the difficult part about uh, about different forms of pop culture, especially about music, because it's very hard, I would say, to draw the line between fact and fiction. Um, in some cases, for example, I think actually the first song that I played uh, is is a perfect example of this. The, the first song that I played was was Nobody No Crime by Taylor Swift and Haim. Um, and what they're explaining there is essentially someone committing a murder. And I don't think that any person in their right mind would, would believe that Taylor Swift actually committed a murder. Um, conspiracy theory right there. Um, so um, it, it's very clear that this is a work of art and that this is, is a, a portrayal uh, of a story that they're trying to tell. And I think with regard to sexist language, sexist behavior, it, it can kind of be similar. That someone is portraying a character that may be sexist, that may express themselves in a certain way. Um, and then, of course, one could ask the question, why would you want to portray 
that kind of a character in the first place? Why is this a message that you want to send to people? And I fully understand that criticism, um, but I, I just think it's important to differentiate here between, you know, a work of art and the person that is producing the work of art. I kind of hinted at this in the beginning as well, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the very end, but just, you know, to say this first. Um, and a very important component, in my opinion, of, of this entire discussion is also when people talk about the past. Um, when they talk about their past, when they talk about things that they have experienced. So, for example, I think a very good example of this, um, again, I'm referring to hip-hop culture. I just think hip-hop culture is the best example to, you know, discuss all of these things because many of the, of the sexisms in hip-hop culture, um, they're a lot more obvious. It's, it's a lot easier to spot them than in different forms of pop culture, even though they are definitely there in different forms of pop culture as well. So in hip hop culture, very often um, the artists talk about their past. They talk about things that they experienced during their youth. Um, they talk about whatever, for example, them having been criminals, um, them having dealt drugs, but also they use a certain language. They use a certain language that they're used to from their past, from the background that they come from. And very often this language is also quite sexist because that is simply, um, in many cases, sadly, but truly, how people talk. So they're trying to, you know, convey a realistic portrayal of, of, of a society or of a situation that they are a part of or that they have been a part of. And in order for that portrayal to actually be realistic, they use that language. And in my opinion, again, personal opinion. In my opinion, this makes sense. Um, because in a movie um, about, um, I don't know, a, a similar situation, like if you watch a mafia movie, for example, they're not going to be expressing themselves like gender studies students. They're going to be expressing themselves in an authentic manner. And that is what the audience wants to see, because the audience is actually looking for that kind of an authenticity. And I think the last point that I would like to make um, with regard to that is to, you know, clearly differentiate between authenticity in the sense of, you know, creating an authentic piece of art, creating a piece of art that is credible and believable, and authenticity in terms of, you know, being able to distinguish the artist from their work. Because in my personal opinion, it's extremely difficult to do that. As I said in the very beginning, in a time of social media, um, in a time where we know a lot about the personal lives of the artists. And I would say that that is actually not the only reason why it's so difficult to distinguish between um, an artist and their work. Um, I think one of the main reasons is just simply the fact that artists, they earn money off of us. They earn money off of our streams, they earn money uh, off of us buying their merchandise, they earn money off of us, um, you know, going to their concerts. Um, so at that point, I am fully supporting a person and their actions. I'm supporting them financially um, if I choose to buy their pieces of art to consume them. So I actually think it's very difficult to differentiate between, between the artist and the person.
there are so many examples of this. Um, I probably don't don't have to mention many. The first thing that actually came to my mind, um, there was um, there was a, an award, um, a, a German like music award, and the nominations for that award came out um, a couple of days ago. And one of the people nominated is actually Chris Brown, and I wasn't even aware that Chris Brown is still relevant, that he's still making music. But like, I was sitting there and I was thinking. I have no idea what happened in the meantime, so I don't know. I fully believe that people can redeem themselves, that they can admit their guilt, that they can face their punishment, and so on and so forth. So maybe he did that. I have no idea what happened in the meantime. But I was just sitting there and I was thinking, how is it possible that after everything that happened so many years ago with Rihanna, how is it possible that this person is still relevant? Um, and I think we experience a lot of these moments. Uh, which sometimes makes me very sad. Um, but I think there are also some glimmers of hope, and I would like to end on, on, on that hopeful note um, before I play the last song and, um, and leave you to it, send you off to Christmas. Um, there was actually an example from, from the UK context. The name of the artist is uh, Octavian. I think he's a rap slash grime artist, somewhere along these lines. And he was actually um, accused of a very severe case of domestic violence. And his, his ex-girlfriend, she made two videos um, of how he, um, how he abused her and of the things that he said to her, of how he became violent towards her physically. Um, so there is actually a lot of proof that this happened. And as a consequence, his label dropped him. And they decided that they would not be releasing his album that should have come out two weeks after the accusation surfaced. And I think this is a very positive example of, of the direction in which this is hopefully going to develop uh, in the future, that the industry actually cares about stuff like that, and that the industry actually, um, when there is proof that this has actually happened, when there are credible accusations, that the industry actually drops these people and decides to no longer put their financial power, their manpower, um, behind people like these. So on that positive note, um, I would like to thank you um, for listening to this broadcast um, for the last uh, two and a half times, given that the first one didn't really work. Um, I um, have decided shamelessly, um, because I just like the album so much that I'm going to play another Taylor Swift long. So I, I shamelessly start and end uh, this broadcast with a Taylor Swift song. Um, this next song is actually not about Christmas. It's just the title. Um, the song is called uh, Tis the Damn Season. Um, also one of my favorites from, from Taylor Swift's new album. Um, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Um, the next broadcast uh, of this show uh, is going to be airing in January. I'll keep you updated and happy Christmas.